Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 5 as we're working our way through verse by verse through this book of Hebrews. And if you haven't already, write down somewhere near the word Hebrews, Jewish Christians, because that's who the letter was sent to in the first century, Jewish Christians. And there was a group of men and women who embraced Jesus Christ as their savior. The Jewish Messiah, the savior of the world, they, they received the fullness of what God promised to them by faith in Jesus Christ, just like you and me. You and I, we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, the forgiveness of our sins, and by faith in him, you have everything that you need for life. You lack nothing. I lack nothing in life by my faith in Jesus Christ. He covers all the bases. He is the fulfillment of all of God's plans. And he is the only way that a person can receive the forgiveness of sins from their creator. He's the only way. There isn't two ways, there's not five ways, although I know that the world is filled with religions and philosophies, but there isn't a religion that can save you. There isn't a philosophy that can save you. You can't read a book that can save you. Only God saves, and the only way that God saves is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus would say it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's in John chapter 14, verse six. So there's no other way available. And that is the the theme of the Bible. But even more so, the theme of Hebrews, the mega theme of Hebrews, is that Jesus is greater. Or you could even say that Jesus is the greatest. And that's the word that the Hebrew believers, the Jewish Christians needed to hear because they've been tempted to turn backwards. For them, backwards meant going back to the religious system of Judaism, which when you think about it, doesn't make much sense because if they went back to Judaism, Judaism would teach them that Messiah has come and when Messiah has come, they would go back. It would be this vicious circle. For us today, we see that temptation to go backwards is something that we've termed, and the Bible even uses this word, backsliding. There's always some temptation, always something trying to pull our attention away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And we've been taking what they've been learning in the first century and applying it to our lives today. Because the Bible, although we're separated by thousands of years from the people and the authors of the Bible, it is just as relevant today as the day it was written. It, is, it speaks just to the things even here in the 21st century, just like it was when the people that were, it was written to was received. Because it was written to all humanity. But it has a context and it has an audience and that's what we've been studying in our time together. So now in chapter five, In all the things that we've been learning about Jesus, we learned that he is our great high priest. In our previous studies, we saw the importance of the high priest and how he was the man that represented people to God and God to the people. 
The high priest was also the one that would take the blood of the bull and the goat into that holy place and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in order to cover the sins of the people by faith for the year. Which explains to us why Jesus would come and be declared to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins. He's the fulfillment of all that was written before. So let's pick up in verse one by way of review and we'll cover a few more verses today. In verse one of chapter five it says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also beset by weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And we studied that in depth in the last few studies. Nobody takes the role of high priest to themselves. They had to come through a family. Aaron, his son Levi, his son Kohath. That's the only way that a high priest could be appointed. And nobody could take that upon themselves. We learn that from our time looking back at the Old Testament when Korah stood up and said, I want to take that upon myself, and God would have none of that. Because it's God that raises up one and puts down another. So notice now in verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So there's five things I want to show you today of the role of Jesus as a high priest. And number one is right here in verse five. Jesus was appointed. He was appointed this position. He, by God himself, Jesus was appointed to be the high priest. It was a sovereign call of God the Father upon his life. And he was not high priest Jesus because of genealogy, but instead it, he was a high priest by a better relationship than his earthly priest ever had. And therefore he's greater. Number two, look at verse six. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So number two, we learn that Jesus is a forever high priest. He is going to be a high priest eternally, unlike human high priests who they would fulfill their responsibility, they would die, and another high priest would come. They would fulfill, and so every, all the time they would cycle through high priests. That's not the, the case with Jesus. He is an eternal high priest, according to this, the order of this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Now just set that aside, because I know there's a lot of questions about Melchizedek. We'll get to him in chapter 7, and we'll explain a lot more about him, but we just see here in verse 6, it's according to a different order, and we'll explain him in another study. Notice number 3 in verse 7, still speaking of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Now we learn here that Jesus qualifies as a high priest because he was fully human. Did you see that phrase? The days of his flesh. You see, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He is 100% God and he's 100% man. And he had days of being in a human body. And what that tells us is that Jesus existed before he was in the womb of Mary. He had his days of flesh, but he's eternal because he's God. And so it was in these days of his flesh that qualifies him to be a high priest. 
because he was a human being. Just like, he was not just the sinless son of God, he was also the sinless man. And he prayed and he offered up tears and cries as we'll get to in a moment. Number four, notice verse eight. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so number four, Jesus experienced life like you and me. Even though he was the begotten son of God through his life, death and resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus completed the work necessary to save us from our sins. And he alone is the source of life. And he learned obedience. Now, as God, he learned nothing. But the author is telling us that through his suffering, he exper- the suffering he experienced, he learned by experience the issues of humanity like you and me. Just like you and I learned things through suffering, so did Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse 9 and 10, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, would you please circle the word eternal Your salvation is eternal. Jesus Christ is the author. Aren't you glad it doesn't say he's the author of your temporary salvation? I mean, how bad would it be if you lost your salvation every time you made a mistake? How bad it would it be? I mean, think about it. Just even in this room, how many mistakes were made? I mean, even when you were thinking bad at me, bad about me before being a Dodger fan and you lost your salvation. That wasn't very nice. Think about all the mistakes. You know, listen, you have eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. You are secure in him. It's his work in your life, not your works that matter. It's his work. So praise God, you never read in the Bible somebody born again, not born again, born again, not born again. What a crazy life you would live. When you are saved, you enter into eternal salvation. Nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nobody can separate you from the love of God. And that should build confidence in you that it's Jesus' finished work, not your works. Because if it was up to our works, we would all be toast. It would be over. And so he's the author of eternal salvation, and his work is much greater, which reminds me, does it not, that there's a far greater purpose in your life than what you see today. There's a far greater purpose in all of the events of your life The good, the bad, the challenging, the easy. You know, verse 8, I couldn't help but park myself on verse 8 for a time as I was preparing this. Just to think about my Savior and what he's done for me. That in the life that he lived on earth, I notice in verse 8, even though he was a son, and you notice that's capital S, even though he was God, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. That my Savior suffered for me and for you. And God used that, the Father used that in his human life by experience to learn to relate to you and me on a level that only he could. Listen, pain and suffering often awake a person to the reality of God. And it's something that we wish could happen another way, but God uses pain and suffering in our lives. Because, you know, you know, most people aren't thinking about God every moment of the day, all day, every day. Even many believers are not thinking about God all day. Why? Because we live life. 
And life has a way of crowding itself into us and pressing us in. I mean, if you ask somebody if they believe in God, they'd probably say yes and have a discussion about God. But generally, God is not constantly on our minds all day, every day. But rather, there is episodes in our lives that awake us to the presence of God. Because most of life is just a daily grind. (laughs) It's just the same things every day. You know, life has its pressure. We have to work. We've got to eat. We've got to clean the clothes and fold them. We've got kids to take care of. We've got our singleness in our lives. We've got to go there. We've got to pick that up. We've got to go grab some milk. We've got to head to the mall. We're taking a vacation. We get a new car. There's rent to pay, mortgage. There's bills to be concerned about. There are family issues here today, work issues. There's neighbors. There's memories. There's fears. There's anxiety. The world that we live in is repetitive and mundane and quite ordinary. And life has a way, life has a way of lulling us to sleep, both spiritually and practically. Even the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus rebuked them and he said, you guys look at the sky and tell the weather, but you don't even know the days in which you live. And one of the reasons is, is they were just going through the motions. And I think that that's pretty much how life is at times. That is until tragedy strikes and until difficulties come, things change. Tragedies, personal pains, national pains, sin, evil, crisis, it hits hard and it hits fast and it takes no prisoners. Pain is knocked at our front door and moved right in without our permission. And you know what, there's something about pain in our lives and suffering is not only does it move in without our permission, it refuses to leave. And so it's a daily issue in some of your lives and mine. And it causes us to cry out to God. And it awakens us to a need for God. You know, things in our lives at that point, we just start asking questions about the reality of the world that we live in. And we think, and this is a common question, why does a good God allow such evil in the world? And if that wasn't enough, with our present day technology, The whole world has shrunk. I mean, we are in a time of information overload. And we are gaining information and news about the world at a rapid pace, instantly. I can pick up my phone right now and go ahead and scroll through the areas, uh, different feeds I have and different news sources I have, and I could read about tragedy, not just in my own backyard, but all around the world. And it's one after another after another. And with the world so, so shrunken through technology and the difficulties of life, here's what happens. A person becomes numb to the tragedy of life. Because quite frankly, we just don't want to feel it. We can't feel it. And so what happens is it's common to be asleep to the reality of God, numb to God, numb to the pain of other someone else. And, and as I flip through and all the things, I, I'm just becoming numb to more and more issues because they're so repetitive. And so we watch the news and we go, oh, another riot, oh, more fires, oh, another murder, oh, another tragedy, another robbery. And it doesn't even seem to affect us anymore. And as a result, many people have become mad antagonistic in our culture, upset, they become hypercritical, even to the point of laughing and mocking God. Think about it in our own community just a few days ago. Just a few days ago, I received a text from a family in our church, urgent text, 
Something's happening over at Rangeview High School. I have, my kids are there. Pray. And so I start praying, and I start looking. I happened to be studying that day, so I started looking on the, online. I couldn't find anything except the police were dispatched over there. And then over time, we saw things unfold. And what had happened is some kid went to school thinking it was funny with a BB gun and put the whole school, teachers, kids, everyone on campus into a state of terror. And you know, you might have seen the, the, the news story, and by the time you saw the news story, it was, it was just, oh, kid with BB gun, everybody's safe. And then you kind of think, oh man, oh, it's kid with BB gun, what's his problem? What was he thinking? And actually miss the fact that terror gripped some kids' lives that day, and teachers, because you know as well as I do in our community that this is no laughing matter. It's no laughing matter around the world, but just up the street here, we had a theater that was terrorized. I don't know if you remember, but 40 plus people from our church, 40 plus people were in one of those two theaters when that happened. We forget perhaps years ago what happened cross town at Columbine or a few years ago out over in the mountains here and on and on the list can go because we just become numb to it. And it's just, oh, another issue at a school. Well, it wasn't just another issue at a school. We had kids from our church there. Now, I personally didn't have kids from our church, my kids there, because I've raised my kids into adulthood already. But in a very real way, I did have my kids at that school because the kids of this church, I, I, I treat them like they're my kids. I take my role as pastor very seriously, and I love your kids. And, and even though there are kids that aren't in this church yet, of parents that aren't saved, I love the kids of this community. I want to see them saved. I want to see them rescued. And so that, that affected me because, because you've got parents there. You know, one of the first calls, one of the first texts I sent out uh, was, hey, can we get a pastor over there? And what a blessing it was to find out that he was already there before I even text. And then we got another one over there and then we're starting to minister and we're praying. And then we have parents from our church that are there. So they're ministering and they're praying as the kids were evacuated, I think to a King Supers parking lot. And there they were. And this was all happening in our backyard, church. That's our backyard. And we go, praise God they were safe. But you know, triggers of PTSD came back to our city. Kids are forever fearful now. It's not like when we went to school, church. It's not. I recall when I was in school, and you know, the big thing that, there were two things that we were all worried about in California. The big one, which is earthquake. So what did they tell us to do? The big one, go stand in a doorway. All right, that's gonna save me. Stand in a doorway, 30 kids in a doorway. Then they also, we used to do training for the big one, the nuclear holocaust that was coming. So what did they tell us to do? Hide under the desk but it's the kids today, it's not like that. This is a very real tragedy. Even though everyone's safe and we praise God for that, there were kids affected. There were parents affected. And a city either responds by rising up. You know, I was reading as well on the Aurora police blotter. I mean, we thank God for the men and women that serve as policemen and firemen and paramedics that in our community, yes, we do. These men and women, some of you, these men and women are trained to run into danger, not to run away from danger. And so I don't know the exact number because I should have looked it up, but like 65 cars or 65, I think it was 65 cars or policemen were, were dispatched to the school 
as they should be. They're taking care. It was code red. But what that meant in our city, though, is that it delayed another 75 911 calls because of the resources being brought here. So, like, these things, I, I know we just saw the news. I know we just saw the news, and we go, oh, man, that kid. But that kid's got something wrong, too, when he wasn't thinking. And, and so tragedy awakens people. And for us as believers, it should, awaken, it should awaken us. We shouldn't just write things off. We shouldn't just become so political. We shouldn't just become so critical. We shouldn't just, no, we should go to our knees in prayer and ask God how he's gonna use us in our community. Because what happened at Rangeview just a few days ago, praise God, no one was hurt. But that's not normal. It's not right. And yet that's the world in which we live. And we have the hope of Jesus Christ in us so that we might begin to, you see, it's a seriousness. And people begin, I know for a fact, people on that property, after they're evacuated, began to think about God again. Because they were awakened up. They were awakened to the reality of the brevity of life and the danger of life. And you know as well as I do that life has a way of lulling us to sleep. And it doesn't take some situation at Rangeview to open us up. Sometimes it's in our own lives. Personal tragedy. You know, when tragedy hits home, close to home, people really start to reflect on life. They begin to reflect on what their life is, but then there is that always temptation to just be mad. Maybe that's you today. You're just mad at God. Life has been hard. Let me just tell you, I'm sorry that life has been hard. It is. It is incredibly hard. Sin has so wrecked this world. Yeah, it's true. Life is easier for others. It's true. Some people have it harder than others. Yes. But here's the thing I've learned over the years. Everyone suffers. Everyone. Believer, unbeliever alike. The millionaire and the one that owes millions. Everyone suffers. No one gets a pass. The wages of sin is and always will be death and destruction and difficulty. And if you're here today and you're asking, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why has a good God allowed bad things to happen? Listen, it is sin that has caused such havoc in the world today. And even on a smaller scale, it's our sin that has hurt others and hurt ourselves from time to time. And as we read of our Jesus learning obedience through suffering, we too learn obedience through suffering. God is not a myth. He's not a fairy tale. God is real, your creator. He hasn't abandoned humanity. Even if you feel like that at times, maybe you feel isolated today. You feel like, man, well, forget about humanity, Ed. I feel like God's abandoned me. Listen, God has not abandoned you. He has not turned his back upon you. Rather, he has permanently invaded humanity by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to live as a human being, God in human flesh, to die a torturous death for you and me, so that by faith in him, you can be brought back into a right relationship with your creator. That's the only way. There is no other way. And God hasn't abandoned us. But in order for love to be truly expressed as love, there has to be a choice. 
And many, many people make bad choices that bring great pain to us. Because God won't force you to love him. He won't make you love him. But he'll offer you the choice. Will you turn to him today? Things are broken on the earth today. That's pretty obvious. Things are broken in our lives. Broken hearts, broken marriages, broken relationships. But God hasn't abandoned us. You know the big difference, really, of pain in the world is between believer and unbeliever because, because for a believer, when pain enters our lives, we know that there's a purpose in the pain. We understand that God uses all things in our lives. Matter of fact, just so God would have us to remember it, he put it in a verse. He put it in the Bible where it says, we know, that's a word of great confidence, we know that all things are working together for the good, for those that love God and those that are called according. And that we refers to followers of Jesus Christ because, because, those that are separated from God, they don't see any purpose in the pain. They don't see how anything's gonna work. They don't know what, well, this, is, this, is, I, this is ridiculous. How, is, how, could, how could this ever mean anything? Because there's no hope. I have, I have the privilege, I've had the privilege of officiating many memorial services and there's a great difference between a person that died in Christ and a person that didn't. The room is different. The feeling, the atmosphere is different. And I'll tell you the difference. It's one group has hope and another group has hopelessness. And any of you that have ever been in a condition of hopelessness, you know that's a real dark place to be, even as believers. And anytime you hear the word hopelessness, I want you to pray for those that are thinking about suicide because hopelessness gives birth to thoughts of suicide. And if you're even thinking about that today, you've even had the thought of suicide, would you please, please ask for help? Your life is far more valuable than what you see right now and what you feel right now. And in the darkness of where you are, it's just not helping you by not asking somebody for help. I know it might be embarrassing, I know it might put you in a vulnerable place, but it'll keep you alive. So would you please ask for help? And we'll pray that the right people get into your life. You could even ask for help today. You, you can come up right after the service. You could call us if you're watching online or listening on the radio. You can call us. Call the church, 303-628-7200. And ask for help. Allow God to minister to that deep part of your life. Perhaps the asking for help actually isn't from another person, but by the time we leave today, you finally surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you ask God for help. He will answer that call. He will receive that. He will meet you where you are. You see, hopelessness buries a person. And yet, God has strength for us and hope available to us. He is using the pains and problems in our lives to be very often, you know, we were speaking a little bit earlier about how sports is a great connection with people. You want to know an even greater connection with people? Pain. It's something that we all share. And it's such a powerful bridge to enter into someone's life when you share a common pain. 
not only are people that have went through what you've gone through attracted to you, but have you noticed that you too are looking for people and now are attracted to people that are suffering what you're going through? That's a God thing. That's part of his plan. That's a piece of the puzzle, how God is determined to use you in this world. And our own Jesus, notice, was in a a place of great difficulty in verse seven. It speaks of him in the days of his flesh when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Now you Bible students, this is referring to one point in time in the life of Jesus. You Bible students, tell me where this happened. In the garden of Gethsemane. You could even say that Jesus is in the shadow of the cross. It's just up ahead. And he comes to a familiar place of prayer with his disciples. Yeah, most of them fall asleep, but not Jesus. It's described, not only was he deep in anguish and prayer, it's described that he was sweating like great drops of blood, vehement cries. And what is he praying? He's praying about the cross, his impending crucifixion. And he's wrestling with the reality. Don't don't think in any way that he wants to sidestep his responsibility, not at all. But he is feeling the full weight of what is to come. And what does he ask? He, He asks the Father, he says, and I know you might have asked this, he's asked the Father, if there's any way, any other way that humanity can be saved, please take this from me. And the phrase in Matthew 26, if you're taking notes, is, If there's any way, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering. But remember how Jesus ended that request. He said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So let's take this back to the text. So it says in verse eight that Jesus, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. I believe this is a, a targeted obedience. This isn't just general obedience, but tied together with Gethsemane, it is a obedience that will cover everything else in our lives. And what is that? It is learning that God's will is better than my will and submitting to that. That's the pattern that Jesus gave us. Because I think when we come to God in prayer, we really do kind of think that prayer is gonna change God in some way. And we come to God in prayer, and I'm sure if we recorded your prayers, recorded my prayers, and played them back for us, it probably sounds something like this. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, requests and thanksgiving are not bad things. And in no way am I mocking our prayers. But I do believe that God is trying to teach us something about prayer, and that is this. Prayer is not a tool to change God. Prayer changes you. Prayer changes me. When I come to God with my request, I accept God's answers. But that's not how we think. We've got to help ourselves. Because, you know, we use phrases in the church. We use phrases as Christians that that we kind of use and we all know. But there are people here that don't know the phrases. So, So we use a phrase that we refer to as open doors to reflect God just saying, go, go take care of it, go have it. And an open door makes sense, right? An open door means you can go through it. An open door means it's welcome. Come on through. And so when we pray for God, God, uh, give me that job. And you get the job, you're like, yes, 
Open door. I've been looking for this job for a long time. I've needed this job. And so what do we do when we receive an answer like that? We throw a party. We get everybody together. I got a job. We get an ice cream cake. (laughs) And we eat the ice cream first. Then the frosting. And the cake is 50-50. You never know. We throw a party. God has answered my prayers. This is awesome. This is great. Why? Because we equated this job, well, really, we prayed for the job, God gave us the job, we're happy. And so we should be. Do we throw parties, though, for the five job interviews that tanked? You know how you were praying for the job? You went into the interview and they said, no, thank you. Interview number two, overqualified. Interview number three, we just gave the job away. Four, five, did we throw a party for those answers? No, because of this. We, re, we look at that as a closed door, and it is very discouraging. But wasn't it the answer that you were asking God for? Weren't you asking, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done? Sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. And so we learn obedience through suffering just like Jesus did because I share that and I know at least a couple of people in our church that what I just described is exactly what they've been going through and their response is they're learning obedience because prayer doesn't change God prayer changes us and as we cry out we come to that place of obedience not my will but yours be done. Jesus didn't escape suffering. Instead, he learned from it. I mean, he was the unique son of God, and he suffered. He was honored and beloved firstborn, and he suffered. He was the faithful and sinless son. He suffered. He was soon to be glorified in heaven. He suffered, and he suffered, and suffered. He was sorrowful and deeply distressed. The Bible speaks of Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And so God is using prayer to change us from the inside out. It's not for God to do my bidding. It's for me to do his. It's for me to get in line with him. It's for me to be sensitive to the world around me. It's for me to be waking up out of sleep. It's for me to be open and ready to be used by God. It's for me to be reminded that my sole purpose on the earth is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then those other things will be added unto me. And that's our problem. That's our problem. We just aren't seeking God first. We aren't. And we won't. And you go, Ed, well, prove that to me. Well, why in the world would God tell us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness if there wouldn't be times we're not doing it? That's the key, church. I know we're in an upside-down world. I know maybe your world's upside-down. I mean, in a real way, we're, we all are walking wounded in this world. And yet, God has awakened us to hope. He's awakened us to obedience. The key of progress for the believer is to learn obedience. Or as one author said, I don't want to waste my suffering. I remember reading that for the first time. 
And you know what I said to the author, even though the author's in heaven right now, you know what I said to the author as I was reading that book? I don't want to suffer. Do you know what the author said back to me? Nothing. But give me a few years. Give me some time to walk, to learn to abide in Jesus through the trial, and I can say with you today, I don't want to waste my suffering. I want to be used to the highest capacity in my life, and I want that for you too. I don't want us just to be churchgoers, gathering together for an hour and not impacting the world that we're in. There's so many people just like us before we got saved that are walking around hopeless, devastated. And so I'm reminded today in our high priest, Jesus Christ, he learned obedience. How? Through suffering. And you are learning the same thing. If you allow God to teach you through the pain, your pain has a purpose. Jesus Christ, our high priest, learned obedience by his experiences in life. He didn't gain new knowledge as God. He learned through the experiences of his life obedience, surrender, through vehement cries, great drops of blood sweating from his brow. He had to experience what others experienced so he could be a faithful and compassionate high priest. And that final experience was his torturous death, his resurrection and ascension into heaven. So no matter what trials we meet, Jesus is able to understand us and how careful we need to be not to be sidetracked, not to get off course. But ever there was a time in human history for the church to rise up and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it's now. He doesn't just want us to be good boys and good girls. He wants us to be mighty men and women following him in obedience, surrendering our lives to him, using everything that he's entrusted to us, using all of it, presenting it right back to him for his purposes. So know today that Jesus relates to you on so many levels, and one of the levels is suffering. He learned obedience through suffering, and that's the work that God is doing in us. Amen? So Father, we know that uh, there's so much to learn as we submit ourselves to you, and so much pain, God. It's just, it stinks. Life is hard. But I'm grateful, God, that you enable us and strengthen us to live day by day, Moment by moment sometimes, trusting you, living life for you and to you and through you. And so I thank you for the example you set for us. It's a, bit, it's a, it's a hard one. But I'm grateful, God, that you're faithful to teach us and to grow us. And I'm grateful that you heal the broken hearts and you comfort the downcast. Thankful that nothing major happened at Rangeview, God. None of the officers were hurt, none of the kids were hurt, none of the parents, the teachers, the, um, you know, the, everybody, the people in the cafe, custodian, all of them. I'm, glad, I'm grateful nobody was hurt. Would you continue to put your hand around us, protecting us? Be with the kids that are just dealing with stuff in their mind, the anxiety, the worry. And it's not just in our community. This stuff's everywhere. It's the world. And so help us, God, not to run away, but to run into your will. That you would just put a hunger and a thirst in the moms and dads here 
just to know you, to enjoy you. You would put a hunger and a thirst in the kiddos listening, God, whatever their age might be, just to have a hunger and thirst for your righteousness. God, that you would just pour out, those that are listening on the radio right now, just pour out your spirit on us as we learn to surrender our wills to yours. And if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that. That today would be the day of, of the forgiveness of your sins. <laughs> I mean, that's the appointment that God had for you today, that you might be forgiven. And so if you're here today and you would say, Ed, I want to get my life right with God. I want to invite you, if that's you, to stand to your feet because I want to lead you in a prayer that today would be the day that you surrender your life to him. So just wherever you are, here in this room, just stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. God bless you over here. Who else would say that's me? God bless you guys in the back. It's good. God is speaking to you. God bless you. I see you. Man, who else? You guys on the radio, downstairs? God, he loves you. He wants today to be the hinge of your life, that everything changes today, that you receive the fullness of God's forgiveness. Imagine that, the forgiveness of all of your sin, a restoration of peace, eternal salvation. God bless you guys. God bless you. It's a powerful day. Church, when you hear an invitation, this church or any other church, pray for the battle that's taking place. Pray for the wrestling. I was just talking to a sister that got saved here 11 years ago, and she talked to me about the battle that she was going through. The wrestling. I remember the battle I went through. I just didn't believe that God could love someone like me. I just couldn't grasp that. But as the pastor told me about the love of God, it, didn't, it, it wasn't about me believing it, it was about me receiving it and trusting that the cross of Jesus Christ was a cross of love. Is there anyone else? We don't want to leave without you responding. And obviously, if you're out on the radio, you know, or in a place where you can't stand, standing doesn't save you, just so you know. It's just really for you to be memorable. This is what, this, this is the day. And so if you're responding today, I want to I help you fulfill this verse in the Bible. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so you can talk to God and confess with your mouth. So you, I'm going to pray a prayer and you can repeat it after me, okay? You can say something like this. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins because I believe that you love me and you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live for me, die for me, and I believe Jesus Christ rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I'm asking you, God, to help me turn away from my sinful past so I can live my life for you. Father, I pray for anyone that would turn to you today. I just claim the promise, Jesus. You said if anyone comes to you, you will no way cast them out. And I don't know the condition of their heart. I don't know anything about the depths of their heart, but I do know responding is a big step. And I pray it's the real deal 
a, respo- a, a, a response of both your, convic- your conviction of sin and your convincing of love. So I just pray for those that responded that they, the seed of the gospel will go down in good ground in their lives today and today would be the beginning of forever for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.